Good morning, Village Church. My name is David. I'm one of the pastors here. Good to uh, see you this morning. We've got our Village Youth sitting in with us. There we go. Yes, another good, fine morning at Denny's, I assume. Yes? Okay. Missed it again. Next month I'll be there. It's uh, good to be back teaching this morning. We get to gather together, open up God's Word every Sunday, and I'm really excited to be in the book of Acts and, and excited for this passage this morning. And um, it's a shorter passage, right? Yeah. We've had some, uh, some long ones this morning. We get to just kind of settle into a few verses. I'm excited for that. Um, chapter 1 of the book of Acts, Jesus tells his disciples to wait for the Spirit to arrive. And then Jesus departs to heaven. That's not usually a good thing, right? The hero just kind of like, I'm out, right? But uh, we see things start to get pretty good. Last week, chapter 2, the arrival of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and Peter's sermon that tells the incredible story of the gospel. He just lays it out. And this all then leads to the big question that the crowd asks, which is a good question, what should we do? What shall we do if all of this is true? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. And our very last verse last week said 3,000 people were saved. And so we pick up right here this morning, and we have another really well-known passage, and Luke likes to tell um, great stories and then pause for a second and kind of give you an update on how the church is doing in that moment. And this is one of those first examples for us, and so we're going to see that today. We only have a few verses, but I think what we're going to see in these verses this morning is first kind of this foundation of gospel community, the foundation of gospel community, and then second out of that, we're going to see the fruit that comes out of gospel community and what expands and really explodes, we'll see, out of gospel community. And so we're going to see that this morning, all right? Let's pray together. God, we're happy to be in your word this morning, and uh, I'm grateful to be your church, and it's, it's cool to look upon um, the stories of the first church and the first people gathered and and now we get to um, just think about what this means for us as your church in this time, in this place. And may we be a church who looks a whole lot like the first church. And we know that we can do this by your grace and by your spirit. And we, we believe and we just declare that the same spirit who lived in them lives in us. And may we be a bold church and a, and a generous church and a, and a church that, um, that is following Christ well. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, verse 42, let's jump right in. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. So God establishes his church first and foremost, of course, by the blood of Jesus, right? They are redeemed people of God. Without redemption, they're not the church. But on top of that, God now establishes the church and the gospel community of the church. And we start to see, I think really clearly here, that the fruitfulness of the early church, it launched outward from this foundation of gospel community. The fruitfulness of the early church came out of the community that God cultivated in that place. And we see here clearly what gospel community looks like. And I think it's... Not surprising, it's not very complicated.
God's people seeking God. It's the, the, the community that God is cultivating, right? Might look for something more complicated than that, but I think it's that simple. Inviting God, desiring God, wanting to be covered in spirit and truth. And this is how we were meant to be from the beginning of creation, right? God's people seeking God. We see the breaking of bread here. That sounds fun. I think this refers here, most believe this refers more specifically to communion. And we see the word fellowship here. This would likely include things like meals together. And also sharing of many things in fellowship, sharing of resources, sharing of worship of God. In his commentary on Acts, I liked what John Stott said. He said, he talks about this verse here in light of what we just saw, a verse before when 3,000 people were saved. And look at what Stott says. He says, one might perhaps say that the Holy Spirit opened a school in Jerusalem that day. Its teachers were the apostles whom Jesus had appointed and there were 3,000 pupils in the kindergarten. Now, we can relate to this. We have 3,000 kids in our kindergarten in Village <laughs> We just opened a new class today, so I think we're, we're surviving. He goes on, though. Look at what else he says. He says, we know that those new converts were not enjoying a, a mystical experience which led them to despise their mind or disdain theology. Anti-intellectualism and the, the fullness of the Spirit are mutually incompatible because the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. And he goes on, nor did those early disciples imagine that because they had received the Spirit, He was the only teacher they needed, and they could dispense with human teachers. On the contrary, they sat at the apostles' feet, hungry to receive instruction, and they persevered in it. Moreover, the teaching authority of the apostles to which they submitted was authenticated by miracles, right? Like what he says there. These are not a people. This is not a community that's birthed out of choosing between spirit and truth. It's a people who, in the spirit of God, seek truth. And, And they seek to sit at the feet of people who God has raised up to be teachers of truth. I think as God's people, we should be looking for opportunities to sit at the feet of men and women who can teach us the ways of the Lord, right? I can tell you that, you know, any chance I get to sit at the feet of one of our pastors in this church, it's a gift to me. And chances I get to sit in on the Apprentice Academy with Pastor Matt Bowman, it's a gift to me, right? Chances I get to sit, you know, in a living room with Pastor Mike Langdon who raised five kids, and Ben's, Ben, you're doing pretty good. <laughs> it's a gift to me to sit at his feet. Village youth, it's a gift to you to sit at the feet of Tommy and Ashley and your other leaders, right, and, and to learn from them. I think there's something to be said for the model of Jesus, right, and his disciples, that, that Jesus chose to model the Christian life for three years when he could have easily just sent these guys off to go, you know, do some studying on their own. Could have signed them up for an online course, right? And I can imagine that your Christian life has been shaped greatly by reading scripture, hearing sermons, studying doctrine, time in prayer. But often the way that God causes these things to take root in our hearts is when God gifts us with a follower of Jesus who models it for us, amen, yeah? Many of you have been shaped in that way. And so again, we look at this foundation, right? The, the foundation of gospel community. 
God's people seeking God. And out of this foundation of gospel community comes the fruit that we should expect. And we start to see that. Look in the next verse, verse 43. Let's keep going. It says, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So the first thing you see, I think, in, in terms of the fruit of this gospel community is the fruit of awe and miracles. These people are in awe of what God is doing, and they're seeing the things God is doing. Eyes are seeing, and ears are hearing, and hearts are believing more and more deeply and clearly as, as God does great things. And, and miracles are done to validate the truth, right? And so the church begins in the city of Jerusalem, and, and Jesus commands them to stay and wait, and they did. And we see that every soul was in awe. And I don't think it's just referring to the miracles that they saw. I think they're, they're in awe of the fullness of what God is doing. The preaching of the gospel through Peter that we saw last week and the Holy Spirit convicting people of their sins and bringing them to repentance and truth. It's that fullness of awe. It's not just miracles. It's not just that we want God to do the things we want him to do. We can't believe that miracles are the ultimate pursuit of the Christian life, right? I think it's pretty simple how I know this because like, where's Lazarus? I think he's dead, right? <laughs> he died, Jesus raised him from the dead. Really solid miracle, 10 out of 10 miracle. Honestly, couldn't have done it better, but he's dead, right? And so our ultimate hope is not in miracles as this ultimate end, but our, and our ultimate hope is not even in physical he healing of things that we want badly. But our ultimate hope is, of course, in, in, in this church community that's built on a foundation of God, that we would know God, know the ways of Him, that we would be God's people seeking God. And we do it through simple things, right? And so the Spirit of God moves in His people, and great things do happen. And the people, both inside the church and outside the church, see these things, and they're in awe of these things. But they are not ultimate things. They point to the ultimate God, right? Yes. And so I hope we're a community of believers that's in awe a lot. And I hope that the people around us see that we are a people who are in awe of the things of God and of God. And if we ever start to lose our way in this, if we feel like our life is, is missing that sense of awe, I think we see really, cl really clearly here, <laughs> we don't necessarily have to go on a monastic retreat which return to the simple things of our faith, God's people seeking God together, being reminded of the good things. Yeah? Let's keep going. Look at verse 44. We're going to see more fruit here of this gospel community. It says, And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. <laughs> That's a pretty cool community, yeah? And the second thing we see clearly here is the fruit of unity and sacrifice. God's people believe really deeply that we share a creator, we share a, a redeemer, we share in our future hope and the mission that we have before us. The Bible says one Lord, one faith, one baptism, right? So how could we not share our loaves of bread? How could we not share our clothing, our, our wealth with fellow believers who are in need. John says this in 1 John chapter 1. Take a look. 
It says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. I like how John describes the fellowship of God's people. It's first and foremost a fellowship of sharing in God. That is our, our, the, the foundation of our fellowship. It is first and foremost a fellowship that we share in this great God. I think what we see is that believers are compelled to share earthly things because they share in the one ultimate thing, right? We share in the ultimate thing of this world. How could we not share in the trivial things, right? And it's interesting, again, right, that Jesus models this with his disciples. Jesus and his disciples, they didn't have 13 money bags. They had one money bag, right? And they picked a treasurer, not a good pick. They picked Judas, <laughs> right? I think Jesus does this, again, to drive home the point that God is our infinite source of every need. He puts Judas in charge of the money bag, knowing he would steal from it, which is really just such a great picture of just the tragedy of his foolishness of his heart, right? To steal earthly possessions from the one who created the whole earth and, and could do it again today, right? It's like stealing a cookie from a Keebler elf, right? Like the little elf is just like standing there with his arms crossed, like staring at you. Are you serious? I make cookies for a living in a tiny cottage in a tree, <laughs> The working conditions are brutal. Long hours, non-union. But if you just wanted a cookie, you could just ask. I'm a cookie guy. I make cookies for a living. I'm an elf. Just imagine walking alongside Jesus for three years and thinking that you need to steal things the foolishness of your heart, right? Some of you have walked alongside Jesus for 50 years. Imagine thinking that you would need to worry about things, right? The abundance of Christ, it compels us to loosen our grip on our possessions, amen? Yeah. I think the things of God make the things of earth feel small. At least they should, that's the point, right? <laughs> This is good for our souls, right? There are people in this church who I have witnessed over the years in the ways they give to people so freely. It's like their possessions are weightless. They hold these things, but the things that they hold are, are ready to just leap out of their hands joyfully into the hands of people who need it. It's not a heavy burden for them to release things. Do you know Christians that are like that? I want God to make me more like that. I'm guessing you do too, right? It's hard. The things of God make the things of earth seem small. The greatness of God makes the sacrifices of earth seem small. My family and I, uh, we just got back from some time away on vacation, and it was great. We, we took a newborn baby, which is like this new thing that people do when they want to go on vacation but not rest at all. <laughs> and uh, the baby, 
doesn't care about time changes or anything, really. And so um, it was a dark time. <laughs> but it was, no, it was like actually dark, right? So the baby would wake up and it was very dark, okay? So, <laughs> so this baby was waking us up. And, and I just realized, like, you know, let's just, let's just go for a walk. Let's throw the baby in a stroller gently. And we had like an hour and a half before we were even going to see the sunlight, just me and the baby, right? And I thought, where could I go, <laughs> you know? Why not find a place that makes me feel really big and powerful, right? Maybe a restaurant, open for breakfast, sit down by myself, start ordering some stacks of pancakes, feel like a king, right, making it rain, throw in $10 bills. You guys just did that at Denny's, so I, you can relate to this. And for, the, for like one hour, I'm, I'm the king of that restaurant. I, I'm the king of that place. It's a, built out of plywood and has some old booths, but I'm, I'm like the king. And this place, I feel like the man of the place. That was one option, right, at 5 a.m. But I wasn't really tempted by that option. Instead, what I, what I wanted to do was find the most awe-inspiring place I could to just watch the sunrise, right? Many of you guys do that when you go on vacation. And so every morning I would get up well before the sunrise and walk up this trail to the top of a cliff as far as I could, pushing a stroller. <laughs> the only people was like me and then just some like landscapers. And, and I'd look out and find mountains and cliffs and the ocean and see things that are terrifying in their power and their beauty. And in the end, looking back, those were some of the most cherished moments that I had of all last week. Just thinking and praying and getting to talk to God while looking at the creation of God that, that could kill me, right? It's just powerful. You know, just feeling content in how small I am. John Piper talks about this a lot. Many of you guys know this classic John Piper quote. He talks about how no, no one goes to the Grand Canyon to increase their self-esteem, right? And yet millions of people do every year, right? They drive. increase their self-esteem. Why do we go? Because there's greater healing for the soul in beholding splendor than there is in beholding self. We crave feeling small, right? We crave the beauty of God's creation reminding us that the things of our life, the things that we hold so tightly to, are not what we think they are. We're all made to take that feeling of being just a tiny our hearts to God in awe and worship. And Paul Tripp, I love this quote because he pulls together this thought with exactly what we're talking about this morning. He says, only when awe of God rules your heart will you be able to keep the pleasures of the material world in their proper place. We don't hate money. We don't hate things. You have to use money to pay your bills. You gotta pay your bills. You gotta do things with money. We understand that. But they have to be in their proper place. Place, and that happens when we are in awe of God. Yes, Wilshire? Okay. Gospel communities are invited into the joy of looking beyond our own individual security 
and toward the freedom of generosity. Yeah. And so again, let's look at verse 44 and 45. It says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. <laughs> the Lord's Church, it's been, it's been a joy as your pastors to meet the needs of our people during this last season. And it's a joy when, when, when we get to be channels by which our generous people want to bless people in need. When someone loses a job, I was praying a lot on, on my time away, and one of the things that, you know, just knowing I was teaching this passage, God brought to my mind was just this idea of how important it is for us to say in our minds constantly that that could be me, you know, when we look at somebody's life and somebody's struggles, to believe really truly like that could be me. Someone struggling with a particular sin, that could be me. Someone struggling with finances or job or work or family or health, like truly believe that could be me. When you think about this and you see somebody living on the street, rather than just assuming you know their story and you know how you could fix their life, right? You know, I like to like run through the process of like, you know, if, what if my, my parents died when I was young or what if my dad died and my mom was working three jobs and we were bouncing around from motels and my sister was raising me and, you know, I turned to drugs because that's what everyone did and that could be me, you know? And Acts teaches us that for the family of God, if someone is struggling, we are all struggling. When we look upon someone, we say, that is, that is me, right? And we're only even sitting in this place by the grace of God, right? So, so how could we be anything but compassionate? How could we be anything but generous? If in God's generosity, he brought us into his family, that we are even here. And so we do our best to do this, right? Look at the next verse, verse 46. What else defines these early days of the church? It says, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Okay, so it says breaking bread in their homes. So clearly someone didn't sell their house, okay? There's a couple people that kept their houses. <laughs> I think the key phrase in verse 45 that we saw is as all had need, right? So if there was a need, the church would meet that need, right? But we see the Bible's not against houses. The Bible's not against home ownership. And I love the simplicity of that, right? It's not just the radical moments of gospel community. It's the day-by-day -day worship and fellowship together. I was thinking this week, like, whose life is ultimately going to be more fruitful? Is it going to be the Christian who, in one single moment of passion, gets fired up for the gospel and denounces all their possessions, sells them all, and burns out, right? Or is it the quiet, humble Christian who truly believes that, that they're to live a life that's poured out for the sake of Christ 
and just quietly, humbly moves forward day by day in generosity with a loose grip on their possessions. I think what we see when you look on the life of a person is that it's so easy life to kind of divide up into chapters. And some of you are young and you feel radical and adventurous and you're ready to sell all your possessions. But maybe for some of you, that's because your possessions are like nothing, right? <laughs> you're like, Lord, I give you my 1994 Honda Civic and these three Del Taco gift cards. <laughs> thy kingdom come, thy will be done. <laughs> but then pretty soon you turn a page and you start a career, you start having all these bills, maybe someday you're married, maybe someday you have kids. And you just have this sense you have no room for risk. You're like, I don't know, I had that one chapter of my life where I was like, Del Taco gift cards were just flying out of my hands. Reckless abandon. <laughs> I don't think we want to look back on our life and see that the chapters of our life are just these like massive peaks and valleys of generosity and gospel risk taking, you know? That we only did it when it, when it was going to be okay in our minds, you know? I think God has something more steady and stable for us through every season of life. I think God wants to teach the young man who feels like he needs to be in the jungles smuggling Bibles in order for his life to count. I think, yes, you could do that. You could also find an older man in the church and ask him to disciple you for the next year on how to be a man who follows Christ and holds loosely to possessions and, and lives a, a radically sacrificial life over a lifetime, right? I think God wants to teach the older men who feels like he has no spare time to give, no energy, nothing to spare. <laughs> Go find some younger believers and be encouraged by their passion. Be encouraged by what they're willing to sacrifice and, and be reminded that, <laughs> that our God has storehouses of blessings. And when we think that we can't afford to be generous, that's more a statement about God and what we believe about God than it is about ourselves, right? And so we need each other, Village Church, right? And what was the foundation of all of this? Of course, gospel community, God's people seeking God. And the wisdom of God is that in this, we sharpen each other. Young men need older men. Older men need younger men. Young women need older women. Older women need younger women. You could be young and cool and hip and find some homogenous college ministry where everyone likes the same $18 avocado toast that you do. And I can tell you, the gospel community that you think you want, it will give you a great season of life, right? But the gospel community that you need will shape your life forever, for the rest of your life, right? Anyway, I think what I'm trying to say is, if you don't find a church with at least two bald preachers, what are you doing? You know? <laughs> Amen. Write that down, all of you. One of my greatest joys is when we get to make the table assignments for the men's Bible study, right? Because we have a great church. And I don't, even, I don't even care what the names say. 
I just block out the names. I don't care what the names say. I sort it by age because I want every table to have someone in their 20s, someone in their 30s, someone in their 40s, someone in their 50s, and someone age 60 or above. And that's what we do. Sort it by age, make the tables. You sign up for men's Bible study, that's what you can expect. If you're 30, you're the 30-year-old at your table. <laughs> Congratulations. Because <laughs> we need each other, right? You believe that, Village Church? Okay. Day by day, verse 46, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. <laughs> I do want to address one thing. This is a little, um, little unique, but I think it it would be convenient to just ignore the fact that many people <laughs> use passages like this to say, how can a Christian be against like communism and socialism, you know? <laughs> Haven't you read Acts 2? I mean, this is kind of what we're supposed to do. I was listening to an economics podcast because I've told you, I think I told you I'm a nerd with those things. And, and the guy said, do I embrace communism? Of course I do. My family operates under a system of communism every day. I just don't think it scales. Karl Marx says, from each according to ability, to each according to need, right? I was going to put that on a slide, but I thought someone might take a picture of me like <laughs> on stage and so I delete it. That would not work, you know? <laughs> I have a five-month-old kid. She has very little ability and a lot of need. My wife and I have seized all means of production in our home. We distribute resources to everyone according to need. My six-year-old can't quite get a job, but she can vacuum some things, and that is called ability, and we put that to work. <laughs> and so this economist guy, he says, you know, do I, do I believe and embrace communism? Of course I do. My family uses it every day, but I just don't think it can be a system that scales. Because pretty soon you hit a wall of selfishness and, and sin and corruption and greed. But in a family of five, <laughs> yeah. I can't tell you how many times we're in the car on a long road trip and every snack has been consumed and my wife starts to unwrap her one single snack and a child in the back will say, Mom, I'm hungry, can I have that? You know? And she knows her, her role, right? She closes her eyes, passes it back, one single tear flows. You know? <laughs> we embrace these things, right? Who is with need? Who has need? Meet the needs. Those who can meet the needs, meet the needs. Should Christians embrace communism for a nation? I don't think so. I think communism is a system that paves the road for unprecedented evil and abuse. It incentivizes consolidation of power. It rejects God. It's a religion of the state. It's an unbiblical promise of utopia through equality. It has a track record of mass death and violence. Other than that, it's been fine. But should a church benevolence fund operate as a beautiful channel of God's grace that flows money and resources from generous people into the hands of those who need it most? Absolutely. <laughs> because we as God's people, to the best of our ability, are trying to say, God, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, right? 
And so to the extent that we can operate like that, that's what we do, right? Some of you right now, all you wrote down was like, okay, second week visiting Village Church, looks like the other pastor's an actual communist. (laughs) Find a new church this week, right? All right, let's look at the end here. Verse 47, the second part. It says, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The last thing we see really clearly, the fruit of gospel community is multiplication. (laughs) They didn't spend all their resources trying to build a church growth strategy. Instead, the resources were spent cultivating the hearts to be living, breathing, walking out into the world evangelists. And, and the Lord added to their number day by day. This is how we think about our church here, right? We're a welcoming church. We love when people come through these doors. We believe that this is a great place for anyone to come and hear the message of Jesus. But we believe that the gospel primarily spreads on the roads and in the marketplaces and in in neighborhood conversations. And so we see here God's people were gathering to worship, they're gathering to hear the apostles' teaching. They're filled with the Spirit in their hearts and the truth of their minds. And out of that, the gospel message was exploding into the marketplaces and on the roads as people traveled between towns, walked together. I mean, can you imagine you're getting ready to walk from town to town? You got, someone's like, hey, we got about 25 hours journey here. Why don't you tell me about that new church you joined and this Jesus guy? And you're like, okay, so I appreciate the question. Um, I wish I could answer that. Instead, I'm going to give you this invite card um, to my church. And you got to hear this guy, Peter. He's great. He'll tell you all about Jesus. He teaches at all three services, right? You can stream it online. That's not what was happening with the church, right? The church was gathering to be sent out, to be the evangelists in the roads. The spirit is in your heart. The truth is in your mind. Preach the gospel, right? Village Church has 174 partners right now. And by God's grace, we want to have 174 preachers in these cities. We have 126 children of partners. We want to have 126 little evangelists in their school classrooms and their sports teams. Amen? Yeah. And so we're just getting started in the book of Acts, and the gospel is going to begin its journey to the ends of the earth. And in God's wisdom, all of that happens through the local church. As they seek the Lord, as they cultivate their own community, as they love each other deeply, They experience the fruit of this. I'll show you this list again. Here's the fruit of awe and miracles, the fruit of unity and sacrifice for one another. It's the fruit of joyful worship, and it's the fruit of multiplication. And here we are a couple thousand years later, and I'm grateful to be part of our little church, Village Church, yeah? In this time, in this place, just trying to follow in these ways, and we have so much room to grow in this, And I know my heart wants to hold tightly to things. And I always want to make sure I have backup plans for my backup plans, you know. I think we should believe deeply that God's going to work in our hearts as we draw near to him and each other. And believe deeply that we're people of God, filled with God, 
And what do we have to lose? Yeah? You pray with me? God, we love being your people. May you fill us with awe each morning. May we believe deeply, God, that you you know what is best for us. Let's think about all the things we see here, all this different of a gospel community, and we want this. God, we, we want you to shape our hearts and our minds. God, we just want to be your church in this world. We want to be your people on the roads and the marketplaces and in the neighborhoods. And may we live simple lives of conviction and love for you. And, and God, may, may our community be something that the world would look upon and, and see clearly your love for us and, and our love for you. That they would see that we are a people seeking God. And God, may we experience so much joy in this. May we be a joyful people. And we thank you, God, that you are good to us, that you've saved us for this, that you've called us to this. And God, we just believe that, that you are good to us and that, and that you can do great things in this church and in this city and in the world around us that, that maybe increasingly might feel like it doesn't want the things of you, doesn't want to know the truth of you. There's no desire for your spirit. God, may we believe deeply that it is, it is you who writes the future. You know the future. And that you can do all things and that you can use us for great things. That we could see many come to be added to our numbers. We pray that we would really deeply believe that, God. And so we thank you that we get to be your people. Thank you we get to gather and and worship you and get to open up your word and hear truth. That we get to break bread together and share in communion together. And we get to pray. And thank you that the things that we see in here are things we get to do together today. We love you. We worship you as you deserve it. Amen.